Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Make It Plain, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, though, if you happen to ever listen to the live daily show, Make It Plain, and I hope you do, uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe at makeitplain.com. I was talking about Black Friday and about, you know, it was a headline in the New York Times um, about how it was a money, the headline literally was that Black Friday is a money and time-sucking <laughs> vortex. That's right. But then, at the same time, we were talking about this on Live Daily Show, the, the story com- comes out about co- corporations being in debt greater than ever before and financing that debt with junk bonds and selling shares. So the same corporations that want us to support them on Black Fridays uh, are in debt, asking us with our consumer dollars to finance their their debt while they also benefit from a tax break Trump gave them that saw corporate taxes drop by $91 billion in 2018 while those of us who are individuals are paying more than $100 billion (laughs) in taxes. All that's important. And when I had this conversation, I was talking with the Reverend Liz Theo Harris of the Poor People's Campaign um, and just how the inter- intersection of, of, of poverty and, and greed happens, but also um, when we talk about poverty or even not poverty, we have to talk about hunger, uh, which is also real. And all of those things go together. So uh, we're happy to have with us a dear friend, an organization I love, um, and we're going to be, we always promise, we always talk during the holidays because of their annual event, but we always promise each other that we're <laughs> going to talk more during the regular year as well because they do work year-round. Hunger is not just a once-a-year thing. The organization I'm speaking of is Why Hunger, as in whyhunger.org. We're going to hear about Why Hunger and their hungerthon. And we're happy to have once again, dear friend, and, and no excuse now because since we're in a new studio, 
the office is literally across the street. <laughs> Senior director of programs. You could, you could almost come co-host if you want to. That's right. Senior director of programs, <laughs> uh, Allison Cohen. How are you, Allison? Welcome um, back to Make It Plain. Thank you, Mark. I am so thankful that you and Brittany reached out. You guys have a true commitment to Why Hunger, and, and uh, we really appreciate this opportunity. Well, since we've we relocated ourselves, all is now right with the world <laughs> that you're here. The, the gang and the family's back together. We're all back. So we're, we're grateful for that. So for this podcast audience, let's not assume they know all that we know about this great organization. Uh, but tell us about, tell our audience about mm-hmm. Why Hunger. Sure. So Why Hunger, we've been around since uh, 1975. We were founded by um, a radio DJ at the time, Bill Ayers, who is uh, um, co-founded the organization with Harry Chapin of, um, I always say, of Cats in the Cradle. And even mm-hmm. among younger people, that rings a bell, but Harry Chapin, um, who tragically died in, in the early 80s. And the two of them were talking on the radio, much like we are now, and um, made a commitment to each other to do something about the issue of hunger. And originally they were focused on hunger um, in um, in Ethiopia and then in sub-Saharan Africa and really focusing on hunger in other areas. And as they became more and more knowledgeable um, and digging into the issues of hunger, they realized that it was um, a scourge on our own society as well. And so since then, Why Hunger has been a global organization. We understand that hunger exists everywhere and that the root of hunger across the world is poverty. And um, it doesn't matter if you're living in the U.S. or you're living in um, India or in um, Zimbabwe, that that ultimately the root is poverty. And in order for us, you were talking about the Poor People's Campaign and and, um, and Reverend, Reverend Liz, who's a good friend of ours, um, we share the same theory of change, which is that we need to build power mm-hmm. if we're going to ultimately change the landscape such that we can end hunger. And why hunger, working both in the U.S. and around the world, believes that Food should be recognized as nutritious food should be recognized as a human right. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's 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 our mission. And we believe that hunger is something that can be ended. And we have the privilege of working with many social movement leaders around the world and supporting them in their efforts to uh, to find and and implement sustainable solutions in their own communities. Um, also, at this time of year, though, we like to mm-hmm. highlight Hungerthon, don't we? Yes. So Hungerthon is a, a radio tradition that was started um, about the same time the organization was founded in 1975. And um, so for a period of about the week before Thanksgiving through mid-December, we do our best to take over the the airwaves and and raise awareness about issues of hunger, um, particularly focused in the U.S. Um, for this time of year, and um, and raise funds as well. And if you're interested in learning more about this particular campaign, you can go to hungerthon.org. There's um, we're seeking donations. We have lots of gifts that we can provide, auction items, a variety of different things. If that's your you know, if that if that's what you're interested in, um, we also have a big storytelling site. So if you want to learn more about what we do and the the folks that are that we're supporting, you can you can check that out too. When folks, please and and please be supportive of this uh, of this issue. Go to hungerthon uh, dot org. Yes, correct. Uh, are 
for your organization are hunger and starvation synonymous? No, they absolutely are not. And in fact, the um, UN came out with uh, a new report recently. Um, It used to be that more than a billion folks, like a few years ago, they said more than a billion folks are hungry. Now the report is 800 million are hungry, but we go way over a billion if we add those that are, quote unquote, food insecure, meaning that they um, may have to skip a meal every day. Maybe the parents or the adults in the family choose not to eat for a day or two so their children can eat. So they're making all kinds of concessions, um, and food is the first thing that, that, that goes because it's, it's a variable right. you know, expense. Right, um, right. And so it's incredibly important to, in, in our opinion, to, to, yes, recognize that there is still malnutrition and starvation in some parts of the world. And that is a critical need that that should be addressed immediately. And we have done very little to move the needle on the uh, millions of people around the world, 37 million in this country, who face food insecurity on a, on a daily basis. Doesn't food insecurity include not just skipping meals, but living in communities with lack of access to nutritious food. Yes, that's exactly right. And um, there is one of the things I think many of us don't realize in this country, We think when we think of hunger and poverty, we think of urban areas. In fact, um, poverty rates are much higher in rural areas than mm. they are in urban areas. And part of that is because of the lack of access to, um, to grocery stores, lack of access right, to right, right. Um, various places where you can purchase food. And some of that is... Be- as we know, small towns are, are mm-hmm. drying up as farmers have had to get big or get out. And as corporations like Walmart have uh, have marched across this country and, and um, you know, laid down their foundations, um, it has, in fact, resulted in, um, in areas that have um, minimum access to, to good, healthy food. So just, just as I was talking to Reverend Liz, some people um, – are impoverished and don't know it, you know, and and I believe that, you know, many people in the working class living paycheck to paycheck, Absolutely. you know, fall in that category. So by the same token, you know, even in some urban areas, we live in this big city in New York, kids I know who eat at the carryout every night mm-hmm. and don't miss a meal from the carryout. Right, right. But they may very well be, because absent grocery stores and access right. to other healthy food, they may very well fall in the category of being food insecure, right? Absolutely, absolutely, because they are not getting the proper nourishment right. um, from from that kind of carry-out um, food. And there's a fair amount of, um, so when we talk about it, and a lot of, you hear this terminology, food desert, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And we prefer to use the term, and food desert essentially means that it's, there's poor access to food, that it's an area where it's difficult to find establishments that, where you can access good, healthy food. And um, we prefer to um, use the term food apartheid which was mm. coined by um, one of our board members and and um, farmer extraordinaire Karen Washington here in the New York City area. And, um, and that is um, an important distinction for us because it really helps to first underscore that, that, that food deserts are not natural. 
right? So that's it's that there's a a structural reason why that that happens and why that exists, and that we could, if we had the right political will, could end um, the we could end hunger. We could end the lack of access to fresh, nutritious food. Um, instead, what we're seeing is a real onslaught. I mean, a real um, what's the word that you use? A real sort of attack on um, on uh, the the federal entitlement programs that um, are responsible for for helping people just keep their heads above poverty and enable their families to eat. And that's um, so that's that's become the sort of current climate that we're we're living in now and one of the programs that is putting a dent in food insecurity and everything else and hunger right is snap snap right formerly called food stamps and they changed the terminology to snap uh, supplemental um, is the first word um, as a way to underscore that it's not meant to feed an entire family, that it's meant to be a supplemental program so that um, that, that, that folks who are um, the poorest of the poor to those that are that are you know $400 away from a, uh, from, from a major catastrophe um, can can at the very least have um, access to good nutritious food. And it is also a program that to date has, uh, there are about 40 million folks in the U.S. every year that use use SNAP, and um, currently in the last year, year and a half, the USDA, um, as a part of the Trump administration, has proposed three rules. And I, I, I think this is also something that maybe we should do a little more education about because I, I wasn't even really familiar how this whole p- rules process works, but central changes are uh, to some of the technical aspects of federal legislation, right? So in this case, the Trump administration has proposed three separate rules, and um, those have yet to go into effect. There's been an open um, comment period, which is the way in which it is um, – that's the kind of checks and balances that exist. And ultimately, Congress, if these rules do go into effect, Congress could um, could overturn them, could change them. And so it's, it's, it's critically important to understand what those rule changes are. And um, in, in our opinion, they're, they're really insidious. And the Urban Institute just came out with a report literally a few days ago that talked about the impact that these three rules in combination could have on um, the American public. And they found that 3.7 million fewer people would, would receive SNAP in an average month. Mm. 2.2 million households would see their average monthly benefits Dropped to one hundred and twenty-seven dollars from one hundred and eighty-three or four, which is not enough anyway to right. to to cover the the cost of groceries for a family of three, and um, that close to a million students are free or reduced lunches. In our opinion, this is a an attack on the um, a program that really is the closest thing we have to ensuring the right to food in this country. Yeah. And um, and it you know it continues to to be whittled away in lots of different ways. Um, this is sort of a, a backdoor way of of really weakening the um, this program, which has uh, over the last decade um, 
enabled 30% of the food insecure population to to have a, um, you know, to, to lift themselves out of poverty. Um, over the last decade, is has that has that been an improvement on the decades prior to the last one? Um, we don't have okay. uh, data that okay. goes. We have data that goes. They started tracking. Um, uh, the data for hunger was uh, just about maybe 30, 40 years ago. Um, and what we do know based on that data is that um, the, the, the percentage of our population in the U.S. that is considered food insecure or hungry has hovered around 11 percent, 11 or 12 percent. So it has yet to go back to pre-recession levels. Yeah, I see. So meanwhile – we we're hearing about um, how unemployment is going down, mm-hmm. and you know those are not living wage jobs. Number one, um, there may be uh, uh, part time jobs. Um, there are jobs that don't come with benefits. Right. Right. Um, right. So there's a whole variety of of um, of issues that really prevent our that that make the increase in employment synonymous with a decrease in. Um, in, in food insecurity, it's just not the case. Um, you also, the reason I ask that question is because you alluded to even the name SNAP. And I never, that kind of went over my head. Yeah. Because I was like, why did they change the name in the first place? SNAP. Right. Um, but like you said, maybe that was telegraphing part of the whittling. You know, we just want this Perhaps. to be supplemental. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember when a Democrat was in the White House, Clinton. Yeah. And, um, you know, that whole Democratic Leadership Council argument of of doing something about welfare, so to speak. And right. we, we right. protested that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like, no, that's not <laughs> that's not right. the way to go. So that kind of helped usher in this era of of shutting things down. Um, uh, uh, well, even before that, Reagan with the whole. Welfare queen mythology, right, exactly, which yeah. was not even a real person, and that that that's a legacy, right? I mean, yeah. that, and we're constantly, you know, we're constantly trying to change that narrative. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but just speaking of the food insecurity, um, folks, I've had the honor over the years of doing some things in and around Huggathon, um, and going to you know with you to some of the places where food is distributed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have stereotypes and images. And we, when we think of hunger in a global sense, the first image that comes to mind is an East African child. Right. Okay. And not that that's wrong, but that's not the only image. No. When we think about hunger here in this country, the only image that conjures is literally a, a homeless person on the street. Right. Right. But, I mean, it was an awakening to me. People were showing up to pick up food in days I was there. Yeah. Dressed like you and me. Right. And on the way to work. Right, right. And I remember you, you know, you literally schooled me right on the spot. So, <laughs> yo, this is what, because I was like, okay, I'm, we didn't, what is going on here? Right. And then you explained me, no, this is, this is what, what is going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's the reality for um, 37, a minimum of 37 million people. And those are the ones that, that, that we're counting. Right. Um, and... Uh, we know that more than 50% of folks that rely on food banks and food pantries, which is the non-governmental sort of emergency food access 
system, which is no it's no longer an emergency. It's become very commonplace for for so many people. More more than fifty percent of those participants um, are working have at least one f- person in their household yeah. working full time. Right, right. And the the whole idea of and, s- and they might some of them since you mentioned yeah. it, some of them might actually be working for Walmart, right? Um, yes, in fact, um, and I, I wish I had this stat like front oh. and center in my mind, but there is a study that demonstrates that um, the, uh, the 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 grocery these large grocery uh, stores and chains um, reap an incredible amount of benefits through tax dollars from folks using SNAP and at their stores, and many of those folks are people that that are employed that yeah. work for them. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. I, In I, fact, the I don't food, have those numbers either, but those numbers are out yeah. there, folks. Yeah, We've all are. heard about right. them. How people at Walmart right. are still getting supplemental assistance, even though they're working at Walmart. That's right. And the other um, interesting uh, thing that I think it's an, an kind of a little bit ironic, or just sort of like I don't know, an oxymoron, is that that the the largest percentage of workers that are food insecure are work somewhere along the food chain. So they're serving our food, they're picking our food, they're processing our food from, you know, from one place to the next. The largest percentage of workers in this country that are food insecure are people who work in the food chain industry, all along the food chain, from food service to harvesting to, you know, the whole thing. And um, yeah, there's an organization called the Food Chain Workers Alliance, which is a really a uh, close ally of ours and um and they're they're out there organizing workers um all across the food chain to 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 change this narrative right yeah yeah um and and then you talked about like the the image of the east african child and um meanwhile here in the US we know that one in seven children one in seven children so you go into a classroom right and you're you're a teacher in a classroom um one out of every seven kids in your classroom is uh, probably skipping meals, didn't have breakfast, relying on school lunch, not having enough food to eat over the weekend. Right. That right. is a reality. Right. And so, um, you know, and, and when you think about 37 million people, you know, we, we encounter those folks every single day. So just to, to recap that, because that's a very powerful statement, people um, – who work in the food industry in every aspect right. are oftentimes the most food insecure. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's um And rely on SNAP more than any other any other sort of working sector, any other sort of you yeah. know sector. But you of know as as oxymoronic as it is, I mean that's the history of this country. <laughs> you know, I mean my ancestors worked in that food industry, in that right. food chain, right? You know, uh, uh, picking and doing agriculture, and yet we're literally enslaved, right? And malnourished because the good food we prepared in the house, we didn't get. You know, we got the chitlins. Right. <laughs> That's why we eat right. chitlins today. Yeah. And I know some folk are already gonna turn this off because they don't <laughs> think chitlins is a bad food, but <laughs> y'all, it's really not. <laughs> it wasn't made. I don't think folk had that in mind when they were talking about fixing something to eat. Now, right. I've had them. I mean, I remember we used to eat them and they were good. I don't eat no more, but you know, <laughs> when we figured out, I, we didn't right. know what they were. Right. Um, but that's kind of the history of, of this country. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that in and of itself is shameful. Yeah. And, and it, to me, that it also calls to mind, I want to 
to to also paint a hopeful picture, which is that there are um, there there are black farmers in this country that are working to really take back the land to. Yes. Um, to 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 take back the honor and the dignity of of working the land, of owning the land, of of um, or children, and um, and I think that's an incredibly uh, hopeful um, uh, aspect of of this power building, and it's something that Why Hungers had the privilege of supporting as well. The National Black Food and um, National Black Food and Land. Wait, hold on, I got it wrong. MBFJA, National Black Food uh, Justice Alliance, right. the Black Urban Growers. I mean, these organizations are are doing really um, amazing work at a grassroots level to um, to to actually uh, envision and implement the models that we want to see. They're, li- they're 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 putting in place the way that we would like. They're putting in place the future that they want to see for the rest of the country. Well, and just before we leave that point, though. The, the one in seven. Yeah. Um, when I lived in Washington, D.C., and it was snow, it was always a big thing. Mm. Wake up in the morning, school's going to be open and closed. And, um, you know, despite his other shortcomings, um, Marion Bear was always reluctant to close schools. Yeah. And the reason he gave was because, and he said it publicly, yeah. He said a lot of these children won't get any that happens here in New York. But I'm sure in many other jurisdictions, whether it's said publicly yeah. or not, when folks wonder why won't why isn't school closed? You know, and you know, it changed my whole thought process right. of snow and school closing. Right. Right. Yeah, no, and I, I, I know it's something that we often talk about as well. Um in you know in my in my world in my sector whether or not that has something that um, has been publicly stated here in New York I'm you know I'm not sure yeah. but I know it is a reality it's a reality that that there for some kids they won't they won't get lunch that day yeah if if school is closed and so that's that's a real um, a real issue and speaking of school meals New York City has done an amazing job of guaranteeing we now have universal school meals yes um, which is which is um, you know one of the first in terms of a big city in this country to take that kind of step. And it took years of organizing and really pushing that. Um, and that is something that we believe should be instituted across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Across the world, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, um, that if you, if you show up to school, you get fed and, um, and that that is another way in which we could guarantee the right to food in this country. Um, uh, we actually, uh, not so shameless plug here in our new studios, DNR Studios. Um, we uh, we just had our we do our fundraiser in October, uh, our giving month, where we raise money to hire interns um, from um, from the uh, Farney Center, and we hire LGBT. Homeless youth mm-hmm. as interns. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think Brittany knew about that. But when we hire these interns here at DNR Studios, separately, they also get a food stipend. Yeah. So that they can actually, these are homeless youth, so they're not, 
they don't. So one has nothing to do with the other. You get your stipend, but you also get a food stipend. Right. So you can feed yourself. Yeah, no, that's important. And the 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 federal government is not doesn't include LGBTQ as a um, in terms of food insecurity. But we know right. that LGBTQ youth in particular, are among um, among the most food insecure in this country as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a, re- a remarkable um, contribution that you're making. So we have Hungathon going on. Yes. What else are some of the other things that Why Hunger is doing throughout the year? Yeah. That, you know, like immediately you would want people to get involved in. I hope people are hearing this and feeling inspired to get involved. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately we are aiming to build power among folks at the grassroots level that are already um, finding, envisioning, and enacting sustainable solutions Mm -hmm. to issues of hunger and poverty in their own communities. And our role is to really knit these um, organizations, these leaders, these groups together, both uh, and globally, into a global social movement that will call for um, uh, nutrition, nutritious food as a human right, and um, and and so that's kind of the big broad picture um, of what we're working on. We work on a variety of different issues, um, really at the root root causes of hunger and poverty, and we help to build networks and alliances. We're working with something called closing the hunger gap here in the U.S., which is um, at this point approximately six hundred different. Uh, nonprofit organizations that are feeding people in their communities Mm -hmm. that have said, you know, we just keep seeing more and more people coming every year. And, um, and so this, this, this rhetoric that we have that we're ending hunger is just not true. And what can we do differently? What is wrong with this system that food banks and food pantries have become um, what on for and the charity model? is what our country relies on. I mean, we, we've grown up with it, right? I mean, if, if, you were, you know, if you were a kid prior to 1960, maybe you remember a time when you would go to school and they wouldn't ask you to, for Thanksgiving to bring in extra cans of food, right? Mm-hmm. But for most of us, it's normative. We, that's what we've grown up with. And, um, and so another key area that, that Why Hunger is working on is really helping to change that narrative, that, that charity is n- important, it is never going to end hunger, and um, and we need to really frame these issues in terms of justice. Mm-hmm. And um, and if we can work at the root causes, if we can understand how um, powerlessness, poverty, race, climate, um, uh, you know, sexual orientation, how all these things intersect to um, to perpetuate structural inequities. And we might we might be able to make a dent. You said another powerful statement. Charity is never going to end hunger. No, and it's important. I mean, I, I think while there are people in need, we we need to be supporting them. At the same time that we're working towards and envisioning first, because you have to have the vision first, right? Mm-hmm. So envisioning a world where food banks are no longer necessary, mm-hmm. and if we can envision that. And we can begin to work towards it. And so one of the one of our big efforts in the in the coming year, and we've been working on this for about seven years, is um, is is creating a different kind of network and alliance of food banks and food pantries that say, yes, I I, I want to get on that train. I want to I want to I want right. to imagine a world where fifty years 
10 years, 50 years, whatever it is, that we can shut our doors because we're no longer needed. Not just canned goods. You're talking about changing systems. Yeah, we're talking That's why about we're here. Exactly. Now, yeah. that's not that typical for a so-called charity organization. You know, right. a lot of folks just want to take that donation and be quiet. You you rocking a few boats. We're, we are rocking a few boats, but... You know, you don't really. That's, you. That's what you do. You don't get anywhere unless you do that, right? <laughs> you don't I mean, mind that, you like me, <laughs> we rock boats, y'all. It's like that. That feels more normative to me than than yeah. anything else. But um, that, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's what we're doing. We're we're we feel like we're we're doing some truth telling, and um, and we're supporting those more importantly, supporting those who are on the front lines every single day to do that truth telling and to turn that into action. Yeah. Yeah. And and frankly, suffering because of hunger is far more impolite than you, you know, right. uh, uh, rocking some boats. Right. <laughs> right. right. So exactly. we all think about the people that are that are going through that. And I hope you would, uh, please, ma'am, please, sir, support Hungerthon. Go to Hungerthon.org. But also why hunger and, and get involved. I mean, you are, and I can say this as a minister, you are truly doing the Lord's work. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's literally people go to church every Sunday and they read, you know, I was uh, thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was hungry and you fed me. Mm-hmm. And then it's just but that's not alive. That's just in a book. It's a rote right. statement. You know, we go on with our lives and, and get on Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and we're not. But, but you know, Facebook, not... you can't eat Facebook. No, you can't. <laughs> Facebook ain't going in fossil fuels. I mean, right. the fundamental things that are going to keep us alive are threatened. Yes, that's right. Every single day. Yeah. I mean, our Mother Earth, the soil that where the, the food is grown that, that feeds us, Amen. you know, the air that we rely on, the water that we're poisoning, um, you know, the oil spills that are leaking into the waterways, all of this is part and parcel of um, of ending hunger in, in our view. And, um, you know, you can't eat money either. Yeah. <laughs> and we need money to eat. So yeah, there yeah. you go. You know, if if that's the society we're living in, we've got to ensure that people have access to nutritious food in dignified ways. So in in part of the systems changing, um, it's about educating people. Some people don't even know what's nutritious and don't that's oftentimes true. know what they're eating or not eating right. is, is not nutritious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot more information out there in the general public these days about, you know, what's nutritious and what's not nutritious, um, and and it's hard to know what to trust, right? Because one one day it's like, oh, we shouldn't have any, we shouldn't eat milk, or we shouldn't eat eggs. That was a big thing for yeah, a long time, and now yeah. it's like, well, no, eggs are actually good for you, you know. So in our what we what we classify as nutritious food is food that is. Um, that is uh, of the earth, that is um, uh, grown and produced in ways that do not harm the earth, but rather help to rebuild soil, that, that contribute to a sense of climate justice, and that also um, contributes to the livelihoods of those who are growing, processing, picking, distributing the food as well. Yeah. So you, when you think about what is nutritious food, I think it's important to go beyond the nutrient content, um, 
because we find that when we go to looking at the entire system with a a justice lens, that um, what you wind up with is highly nutritious food. Yeah. yeah. The two go together. Yeah, the justice lens. I love that. Uh, Speaking of dignity and food security, I ran across our article. I was telling our producer, Brittany, about it just the other day. She remembered this conversation. Queen Elizabeth is 93, probably going to live to be 100. This whole article (laughs) is about how she eats the same nutritious food every day and is healthy, but she's the queen. She can get that. That's right, that's right, brought right. to her. Yeah. Um, my grandmother lived to be 98, and, and I kind of took for granted the things she did, but she her diet is almost identical to the queen. <laughs> I mean, just the yeah. same basic thing. Right. And she grew up in a generation where there wasn't um, – you know, all the junk food, right. all of the uh, uh, fast food. I mean, right. some of that generation lived longer because they were closer to the land and had no choice but to eat that. There was no such thing as not preparing your own food. Right, exactly. And, and having access to good prepared food every night right. uh, as opposed to just, you know, let me, I'm, I'm running around all day. Let me, especially in this city, I mean, I do it all the time. Right. I'm just running all day, but let me just run and grab something to eat kind of as a, as a parenthetical to everything else I'm doing. Not that yeah. I need food to do all the other crazy stuff I'm doing, but, I, you know, it's just kind of right. a thing. So, I mean, it, it the farther we've gotten from that type of culture, on top of the lack of access, on top of poverty, you know. Well, listen, Mark, we, we know that, again, that, too, is, um, is a, a system that is, right. that is making a lot of money for a a small number of people and is, you know, is being perpetuated. I mean, I think there's some intentionality around that. Um, yeah. And not, not to, not to be too, you know, not to paint a too, too broad of a brushstroke, but, but industrial agriculture, big food and big agriculture is a problem. Yeah. It's a very serious problem. We know that um, industrial agriculture accounts for 30% of greenhouse gas emissions. That's more than cars. That's more than, you know, when we think about how are we going to reduce emissions, we need to fundamentally reform our agricultural system. And what we do here in the U.S. is being exported everywhere else. So this 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 industrial agricultural system is um, very rapidly in the last 20 years been very rapidly encroaching upon the more regional and local agricultural systems that are are still in place around the world. Uh Ending hunger with justice, y'all. That's what why hunger is all about. And that may be surprising because, th- again, most people, the first thing you think about, you think about the charity and the giving of the money. But this is also about changing systems. Right. And we invite you to activists along with whyhunger.org and me. I'm a part of this. The Poor People's Campaign, Reverend Barber, Reverend, Reverend Theo Harris, we're all a part of this. And it's long term. You know, uh, it prob- everything will probably not change in our lifetime, but we do it for the grandchildren, and it just keeps going on from generation to generation. Hungerthon.org, whyhunger.org. Uh, Allison, thank you. Thank you. And so, thank you, Mark. so glad to see you again. I am in your eternal service. <laughs> so, you know, use me. Thank you. I, I you will. Can. I'll be calling you and Brittany. Yeah, please do. We got an issue. We need to get it out there. Let's do it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, not just that. I want to I want to come to you. Yeah. Yeah, please. Please. You know, I want to be out in the streets with you yes. again. Yeah. So, let's let's get this done. And folks, during this holiday season, uh think about um what others are going through 
Uh, and don't take anything for granted. Uh, and again, um, it's not just what you do in in the moment of a of a of a season, but what we do long term. Right. All right. And you know, even though the scripture says I was hungry and you fed me, that's not instantaneous. <laughs> all right. That is, you know, I was hungry. We all were hungry. And you fed us all over time and built a system where we would never be hungry again. Right. That's what that's what that really means. Thus endeth the sermon. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Allison. Thank you, Mark, so much. All right. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.